Well, very happy to be out here this morning and be back home safe and sound. Appreciate all your prayers and interest in the preaching of the gospel in other countries. And for so many brethren, when you're leaving places, be sure to give greetings to all the brethren where you're at. So all the brethren, various brethren in Colombia, give greetings uh, to the saints here. <clears throat> in the book of 2 Corinthians chapter 2, we begin our study there in 2 Corinthians chapter 2, in verses 14 through 16. I'll be... Reading, I, li- I like the wording of the English Standard Version in the text here, and we're going to draw from a phrase in the passage. And uh, But anyway, uh, follow along and study. If you have questions, you know, we don't get upset if people have questions or even disagreements. Hey, let's sit down with open Bibles and, and discuss those questions that you have. Okay, here in the book of 2 Corinthians chapter 2, verses 14 through 16, Paul says, but thanks be to God who in Christ always leads us in triumphal procession and through us spreads the fragrance of the knowledge of him everywhere. He says, for we are the, for we are the aroma of Christ to God among those who are being saved and among those who are perishing. To one, a fragrance from death to death. To the other, a fragrance from life to life. And who is sufficient for these things? In particular, that phrase there, in triumphal Procession, in triumphal procession, that is our topic here this morning of the language here of 2 Corinthians chapter 2, verses 14 through 16. Now, it's an interesting text here, an interesting illustration Paul is using. Let's define what we mean by this phrase triumphal or in triumphal procession. According to the dictionary, the biblical dictionary, it says meaning a noisy uh, iambus sung in honor of Bacchus, who was the false deities, false gods, to make an acclamatory procession, that is, figuratively, to conquer, or by Hebrewism, to give victory to cause, or or cause, or cause to triumph, or to triumph over. Now, if you look at that definition, there may be a word that you don't know. Iambus. Who knows the word iambus? Go ahead, don't be shy, if you know it. Okay, Rick was quick to answer. I don't know. Me neither. I didn't know what it meant either. So, the solution is you look it up in a dictionary. And the word iambus is a metrical foot consisting of two syllables. A short one followed by a long one. A metrical foot consisting of an unstressed syllable followed by a stressed syllable or a short syllable followed by a long syllable. And when it talks about an iambus, a noisy iambus sung in honor of Bacchus. We we see that. uh, They had it in the first century. It would be like a chant, a cheer. It would be like, Bacchus, 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 you know, cheering. Or it could be Nero, who was Caesar. Nero, Nero. And we see that in sporting events, you know, go cats, go cats. Or go cards, if you're a Wayne County fan. Louisville card knows what that is. <laughs> but anyway, that, that, that's the ideal. And uh, what they had in the first century, they would be on military campaigns, uh, etc., going out conquering people. And so what would happen is that they would have like a parade, just like like uh, they had parades in Virginia for, uh, you know, Virginia winning the NCAA or people winning the World Series, winning the national championship in football or, or the Super Bowl, whatever. Well, that's the imagery that Paul is drawing from. And I've got a couple of illustrations of a Roman triumphal procession. And what you would have is that it would be probably the general of the campaign. Could be Titus or another general. 
And there would be soldiers, and sometimes they would ride, like in this illustration, upon white horses. White horses are not real common, and so they were sort of special for military leaders and rich folks. And and they would come riding in in this parade of victory, this parade of triumph. And you see these folks down here. Uh, let's see the other point of there. You see these folks down here. Well, they would be captives. Maybe they would be the king, maybe they would be princes, maybe they would be military generals of people they conquered, and they would be in the procession. They would bring the spoils of war. And you would have, like for instance in this illustration, here you have the people in in Rome, and they're all cheering, and they're all excited because, hey, we won another another campaign. We were triumphal again. And uh, bounty and booty was coming in, and lots of money and all kinds of things. And uh, different people would be soldiers and and dignitaries would be in this parade. And so it was really, really uh, interesting. And something else, they would have people. They they would be scattering flowers everywhere. And then there would be people that would have these little containers with incense. They'd be filled with coals and they'd lay the incense in there. And they would be swinging that. And so here you have the aroma of this incense. It would just fill everywhere. If you ever walked into a room where somebody burned a little incense stick, Boy, it just, wow, you can just smell it everywhere. You smell whatever flavor, aroma that it happens to be, you would just smell that everywhere. And so in this uh, Roman procession of victory, they, they would be burning the incense and the flowers. It's like, you know, the spring flowers. We, we used to have the other house we had on the corner, the back corner, we had, uh, um, what was, uh, what, what was it? We had on the corner back there uh, the purple lilac, 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 lilac is very has a what I, I love the smell of lilac. But it you, you would walk or be walking around the house and wow, you can smell that lilac and uh, well, it was wonderful. Well, that's what that would be the aroma that would fill the air of this victory procession and this triumphal procession. And and so keep those thoughts in mind because Paul is going to use that as an illustration in the preaching and teaching of the gospel because in Christ Jesus, of course. We have victory in Christ. Christ always leads us in triumphal procession. For those who are on Christ's side, we are going to be winners. To those that are not in Christ, that remain in sin and wickedness, well, going to be like losers ultimately in eternity. When we look at different texts, it talks about our triumph. Paul says in Romans 8 verse 37, we are, they in, in all things, we are more than conquerors. That is, we are victorious, hyper, super victorious. When he says more than conquerors, that's the idea. Super, we are super victorious. We are more than conquerors through him that loved us. In 1 Corinthians chapter 15 and verse 57, he says, But thanks be to God which giveth us the victory and our Lord Jesus Christ. Victory is promised to those that are in Christ. You know, when, when you're on Christ's team, you're going to be a winner. That's just the way it is. If you're on Christ's team, you're going to be a winner. It'd be like... Playing basketball. Oh, you, know, you could get five guys from here. You get five guys from Pulaski County, five guys from Wayne County, five guys from whatever county surrounding here. And, you know, I'm going to be on the opposite team, but on my team, I'm going to have like LeBron James and, uh, you know, some of these other, Ray John, uh, what was his name? Uh, Rod John, Rod John. He used to be on Kentucky anyway. Uh, well, and uh, some of the other NBA stars, they're going to be on my team. Well, I'm pretty sure I'm going to be on the victory team. And it's not going to be because of me. It's going to be because be on these guys, you know, like all these other NBA stars. And it doesn't make any difference who you're going to pick from around the counties here. They're good ball players, but 
victory, I'm going to be on the winning team. And so it is when you're on Christ's team, when you're on the Lord's side, you're going to have victory. That's the point. We're going to have victory in Christ Jesus. Notice there in the book of Revelation, chapter 17, verse 14, it says, These shall make war with the Lamb, and the Lamb shall overcome them. For He is Lord of lords and King of kings, and they that are called, and they that are with Him are called and chosen and faithful. So the Lord, He is King, King, Lord of lords. So He's going to be victory, and those that are with Him, that are called and chosen, that is, have accepted the call of the gospel, going to be victorious also. Because when you're on the Lord's team, you're on the winning team. In the book of uh, Revelation chapter 19, notice there beginning in verse 11, it says, and I, saw he- and I saw heaven open, and behold, a white horse. He that sat upon it was called Faithful and True. That's our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And in righteousness, he did judge and make war. His eyes were a flame of fire, and on his head were many crowns, and he had a name written that no man knew but he himself. And he was clothed with a robe dipped in blood, and his name is called the Word of God, John 1, verse 1. And the armies which were in heaven followed upon him, white horses clothed in fine linen, white and clean. And out of his mouth uh, goes forth a sharp sword, and with it he shall smite the nations. That is his word, the word of the Lord. And uh, it says, and he shall rule them with the rod of iron, he shall tread uh, the winepress of the wrath of the fierceness and the wrath of Almighty God. And he has on his robe and on his thigh a name written, King of kings and Lord of lords. And the point is, those that are with Christ are going to be victorious. That's the imagery. Just as the Roman armies would come marching in after a campaign, everybody's all excited and happy and glad that they were Romans, they were Roman citizens, that they, they, they were part of this great Roman empire. And they were so excited and happy for victory. Well, spiritually, we're on Christ's team. And if we're on Christ's team, we're going to be winners. We're going to be victorious. It's interesting, the word victory, like, for instance, in 1 John chapter 5, verse 4, it comes from a Greek word, Nike. But we don't pronounce it Nike, we pronounce it Nike. If you see Nike shoes with a little swoop or in the shirt, it's the word, we pronounce it Nike, but it's really Nike, and it means victorious. That is, to be conquerors, to be winners in, in an athletic competition. And so we are victorious. We have Nike or Nike, victory in Christ Jesus. And so those that are with Christ, we're going to be winners if we're on the Lord's side, if we're on the Lord's team. And so you see those imageries there of Christ being uh, leading us in victory. And then it talks about the fragrance of the knowledge of him, the aroma of the knowledge of him. As the gospel is being taught throughout the world in the first century, and even today, it is the aroma of Jesus and the wonderful message of the gospel, the good news, that victory and salvation is found in Christ Jesus. And this message has been spread throughout the world. In the Great Commission, according to Mark, it says, go and preach the gospel to every creature. So people all over heard it and they hear it, that message today. In Luke chapter 24 and verse 47, he says that repentance and remission of sins will be preached in his name among all nations. All nations. Uh, beginning there in Jerusalem. And then in Acts chapter 1 and verse 8, what, what did Jesus tell the apostles there? 
uh, after his resurrection. There in Acts chapter 1, notice there in verse 8. But you shall receive power after that you have received the Holy Spirit is come upon you. And you shall be witnesses unto me both in Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria and to the uttermost parts of the earth. So it began in the city of Jerusalem. It spread out in Judea, then to Samaria, and then it just went everywhere. The fragrance of the knowledge of him, the teaching of the gospel goes forth everywhere. Paul says in the book of Romans chapter 1, in Romans chapter 1, notice there in number 15 and 16, Paul says, So as much as in me is, I am ready to preach the gospel to you that are Rome also. For I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ. Paul, why are you not ashamed of the gospel of Christ? Well, he explains. For it is the power of God unto salvation to everyone that believes. To everybody that believes the gospel. It is an aroma of life, as Paul will say. It is the power of God unto salvation to everyone that believes it to the Jew first and also to the Greek. Notice there in the book of Romans chapter 10. Romans chapter 10. Again, the preaching of the gospel. It is fundamental to the work of the Lord. It is preaching God's message, spreading out the news. In verse 13 of Romans chapter 10, uh, Romans chapter 10, For whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. He says, How then shall they call on, uh, on, on him in whom they have not believed? <clears throat> and how shall they believe in whom they have not heard? And how shall they hear without a preacher? And how shall they preach except they be sent? As it is written, How beautiful are the feet of them that preach the gospel of peace and bring good, uh, glad tidings of good things. For have they not all, for, uh, for they have not all obeyed the gospel. For Isaiah said, Lord, who hath believed our report? So then faith cometh by hearing and hearing by the word of God, verse 18. But I say, have they not heard? Yes, truly, they have heard. He says, their sound went into all the earth and their words into the ends of the world. You see, the gospel, the message of salvation in Christ Jesus, of the King of kings and Lord of lords, of the good news. That's what the word gospel means. Good news. What's the good news? Salvation in Christ. Without this good news, we're in a heap of trouble. I mean, our life is a total mess. Because we have sin, and we have absolutely nothing, no capacity to pay back even the first sin, let alone the multitude of sins that we are guilty of. So, the great message is, salvation is in Christ Jesus. And people have to hear this message. And so Paul uses the imagery, the fragrance of the knowledge of Him. Just as those uh, temple priests were burning incense and all those flowers. And that aroma just spread everywhere. Maybe you were in back of the crowd, you couldn't hear some of the things going on. But you could smell that aroma. Paul says the fragrance of Him, that is of Christ Jesus, the knowledge of Him, it is spread everywhere. People hear this message, they are aware of this message. As the word of the Lord goes forth, as it is taught in the world. Now notice, Paul goes on to talk about in the text, the one is a fragrance from death to death. Again, keep in mind as you look at that image there, in the midst of that parade you have captives. You have maybe the king, maybe you have the queen, maybe you have generals, maybe you have princes. Military leaders that are captive, that they're in this parade, and they're smelling that same incense, that same exact aroma as the people of Rome, as the Roman generals, as the uh, Caesar, etc. They're all smelling the same exact aroma, but for the captives. At the end of the festivity, at the end of the parade, they're going to be executed. It was an aroma of death to them. For the victors, while it was uh, conquest and victory and happiness and joy, it meant life and vitality for the Roman Empire. But Paul uses that imagery that the knowledge of Jesus Christ, it goes forth. 
The knowledge is spread. People are hearing the message. People see things that remind them of the message. That God exists. That Jesus is His Son. And Paul talks about this contrast. I mean, it's the same exact message that people hear in various places around the world. Notice there in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, in number 18 beginning, Paul says, For the preaching of the cross is to them that perish foolishness, but unto us who are saved is the power of God. Same exact message. For the one, it's the power of God. The one that believes, wow, it's fantastic. It is our redemption. It is our guarantee of salvation. It is our guarantee of the promises of Jesus Christ. As we hear about the preaching of the cross, our victory was gained through Jesus dying on the cross, being buried and resurrected. And so when Paul talks about the preaching of the cross, not just simply the death of Christ, but also the burial and resurrection of Christ, the ascension of Christ is all involved in in that imagery, in in that language there. But to those that perish, people that don't accept it, people that don't believe, it's foolishness. It's just a nonsense. I mean, why are these people getting up early Sunday morning? It's their day off and, and, and they're getting ready and they drive out of their car early Sunday morning. Why? Why don't they just sleep in? It's their day off. For them, it's a bunch of nonsense. It's, it's foolishness in their mind. Verse 19, for it is written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise and will bring to nothing the understanding of the prudent. Where is the wise? Where is the scribe? Where is the dispute of this world? Hath not God made foolish the wisdom of this world? For since in the wisdom of God, the world by wisdom knew not God, it pleased God by the foolishness of preaching to save them that believe. For the Jews require a sign, and the Greeks seek after wisdom. But we preach Christ crucified unto the Jews as stumbling block, and unto the Greeks foolishness. But to them who are called both Jews and Greeks, Christ the power of God and the wisdom of God. You see, every time the message of the gospel is preached, every time Christ is preached, every time you hear or maybe hear a song or see some image to remind us about Jesus dying on the cross, to those that are rejecting, to those who do not believe, to them it's just simply nonsense. That's a bunch of fooey. That's what they think. It's foolish. It's crazy. They look at it as just a waste of time. I remember one time, I was helping Chuck Bartlett, he'll be preaching this fall, uh, when he was living in Canada. Canada, And anyway, we had like a a Bible quiz booth to kind of interest people, engage people, hopefully get people to maybe talk and sign up for the Bible correspondence course, take a track, you know, just trying to plant some seeds. I mean, it was late one evening, and uh, the, the expo lasted to 10 o'clock at night. And these two guys come walking by, and they, they look at us in that booth, and they go, all oh, losers. They thought, well, we were just a bunch of losers, wasting our time. A Bible quiz booth. Just making fun of the whole idea of the Bible, making fun of the idea of salvation in Christ, making fun of the, the concepts related to the Bible. They're thinking it's just a waste of time. It's not, in reality. They are ridiculing. They're making fun because they don't believe, they don't accept. They're perishing, in fact. To them, it is nothing but nonsense. It is a reminder of eternity. And sometimes you'll have people, and I'll confess, before I obeyed the gospel, I would see people getting going to church. And I'd actually feel kind of ashamed. Because it was a reminder to me. I need to be going to church. I wasn't, but it was a reminder to me that I need to go to church. We would come back from the country up in northern Kentucky, going back to Louisville, and if we passed when church was letting out, and I'd be sitting in the back seat, I would kind of scrunch down because they didn't want to see me. Why? 
I was like, well, why aren't you in church, kid? Why aren't you in church? And, and I felt embarrassed. I felt ashamed about it. Because it is a, a reminder that God is. It is a reminder that there's a Savior that died. There's a reminder that we're going to die. There's a reminder that there's coming a day of judgment. There's a reminder there's an eternity yet to come. You see, for me, being reminded of those things, you know, looking at a Bible, or maybe somebody bringing up Bible topics uh, discussion in, in, in school, and I just feel kind of ashamed. And, and they say, well, well, Daniel, what do you think? I say, ah, well, I'm just listening. I was too ashamed to say, well, you know, I never really read the Bible. I never study the Bible. I never go to church. But it was a reminder. It was a, an aroma, a fragrance of death. A reminder that I was out of kelter with God. And I've talked with people and, and say something about the Bible. And you can just see them sort of, well, you know, hey, it's going to be kind of cold tomorrow. Did you hear that? I guess that we'll call that dogwood winter. They just sort of like quickly change the subject because it's kind of uncomfortable to them. And what is the reason? Well, because they're not obeying God. They're not following God. They're not serving God. They're not thinking about God. And it is an aroma of death that they are spiritually dead. And so it would be in this Roman procession, in this parade of victory, for those that are captives, it was the aroma of death because they knew they were going to die. And then on the flip side, on the flip side, Paul says, to the others, a fragrance from life to life. Look at that text once again in 1 Corinthians chapter 1. As Paul says there in verse 18, he says, For the preaching of the cross to them that perish, foolishness but unto us which are saved, it is the power of God. When you're a Christian, when you love God, you love what's right, you love His Word, you love to hear His Word preached. You love the message of the Gospel. Why? Because we believe in it. We know it's our salvation that is found in Christ Jesus. We know that God is, is the one that has all wisdom. He's the one that has all the answers. He's the one that we need to believe in, that we need to follow. As he says there in verse 24, But unto them which are called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ the power of God and the wisdom of God. So every time that we sing songs, we hear the songs of glory. Yeah, it's a reminder. Like the song, When the Saints Go Marching In. You know, in the chorus, in the phrase, you know, I want to be in that number. Well, I think about that. Yeah, oh Lord, I want to be in that number. Every time. You hear these songs every time we partake of the Lord's Supper. It's a reminder. Our Savior died for us to give us victory in Christ. To give us victory over sin and over Satan. To give us the opportunity to be reconciled to God. To be justified. To be sanctified. To be justified and, and receive salvation. Every time the Word's taught. Every time you see an image that reminds you about the cross. Yeah, it is an aroma of life to life. To those that are saved. To those that uh, are, are followers of Jesus Christ. It is a very sweet-smelling aroma when you think about the message of the cross. We rejoice in this. We, we, we glory in the uh, blessings that are found in Christ Jesus. We stand in all of Him. We sing that song, I stand, I stand in all of Him. Well, why? <laughs> because without Jesus, we, we'd be nothing. We'd be total losers. We would be on the road to condemnation. We would be on the road to eternal damnation. And no way to escape it. But with the message of the cross, with the knowledge of Jesus Christ, and the knowledge of the gospel, we can find life from life to life. We find life when we enter into Christ Jesus. And ultimately, we will enter into eternal life. From life to life. It is the promise. 
of the child of God. And it's all because of what Jesus did at Calvary. It's all because of this great uh, sacrifice that He made that we can enjoy these blessings. We enjoy reconciliation and forgiveness. We have peace and, and clarity of conscience. Well, we have all these blessings because it's all wrapped up in our Savior, our King, our Lord, who is King of kings and Lord of lords. He is the one that brings all these great blessings. And so we can, of course, enjoy the ultimate final, final victory procession when we all enter into heaven. And so we should be humble, we should be grateful, we should be, uh, well, just just so thankful ever for this great sacrifice as in Christ Jesus. And so this imagery of 2 Corinthians chapter 2 is very beautiful for those that are in Christ, for those that are following the Savior. It's, it's marvelous and it's a aroma of life. But if you're outside of Christ, if you've never obeyed the gospel, if you've not been faithful, well, it's an aroma of death. Why? Well, because you haven't accepted. You haven't made the choice. You haven't made the decision. See, everybody has to make a decision. We extend the invitation. The final victory procession. Will you be in that number? When the saints go marching in, will you be in that number? You can if you make a decision for Jesus Christ. The steps of salvation are clearly outlined. Hearing this good message of Jesus Christ. Believing it with all your heart. Willing to repent. Confess with your mouth. Yeah, I believe Jesus Christ, Son of God, and to be baptized. Immersed in water. Be buried with Him in, in baptism in the image of Romans chapter 6. Die with Christ, buried with Christ, and resurrected with Christ. Yeah, we can enjoy these great blessings. It is an aroma of life to those that accept it. It is the power of God, the wisdom of God. And then to be faithful unto death is the expectation. Be thou faithful unto death, and I'll give thee the crown of life. You see, it's not because we earn it. It's not because we do something fantastic. It's not something that we just pat, our, pat ourselves on the back and say, Whoa, boy, do you see, you see how I did that? No. It will be that we are sinners saved by grace. And it is by God's mercy. And if we do err, we need to come back through repentance and prayer. We're going to sing this song to encouragement. Maybe there's one here even this morning. You've been thinking about it. You've been toying about it in your mind. And you want to do something about it. We're here to help you. We're here to assist you. And if we can help you in any way, you come and let us know why together as we stand and as we sing.